Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. It is time for us, The Approach Shot. We are here. Here we be. I'm, I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and it's always fun to come back here and just start laughing to start with. Before we come on, John and I chat every once in a while, and we just crack each other up. So I hope we crack you up, too. But if not, yeah, oh yeah. the two of us yeah. are having a hell of a time. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing next to you, buddy. That's, that's how it works. So Thank you. You're quite welcome, man. And and it's it's over. Well, it's not over. It's no. two, two-thirds over. No. Are you talking no. about the holidays? I'm talking about the holidays. Yeah. So can I tell you a story about what happened with us? Sure. A week and a half ago, my stepson who lives with us comes to me and says, hey, we're going to do a Friendsgiving at the house. And I said, cool. I love that. I did Friendsgivings when I was single and stuff, but sure. And he's an amazing cook. He really is an incredible cook. So I said, when are you going to do it? And he said, tomorrow, meaning Saturday. (laughs) So that just means the chaos begins running to the store, cooking. My wife became his sous chef. The two of them were great in the kitchen together, had a blast. It was fantastic. Love it. Had lots of people over. It was amazing. That put us in an awkward position because then Thanksgiving came and we'd already done Friendsgiving on Saturday. So Thanksgiving is Thursday. We're not going to go back and cook another turkey or more ham. And we were trying to figure out what to do. And I said, wouldn't it be great For people who have like a Friendsgiving and then have to still do a Thanksgiving to do a more casual version. How about instead of turkey and ham, if we did hot dogs and called it Franksgiving? Okay. (laughs) And and the hot dog thing could turn into like summer sausage or kielbasa. But yeah. Thanksgiving, and yeah. everybody thought it was the greatest idea, except <laughs> my wife, who thought I was a lunatic, which is not really all that different than any other day. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so this turned into like the joke the whole day. It was, you know, what are we going to do? Seriously, what are we going to do? How about Thanksgiving? <laughs> it was just all day long. So what we decided to do instead was we did white chicken chili. Ooh. Right? Because it's getting chilly and we've already done the other stuff and we can reuse the rolls and some of the other stuff that's around. So that's what we did. But John, if I go to the grocery store anytime the rest of the year, please shoot me. Because I went for the Friendsgiving. (laughs) I went after the Friendsgiving to pick Uh, up a couple of things. uh Then, of course, we didn't have everything we needed for the white chicken chili. So I had to go then. And then, of course, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Mm, I went there, which was just insanity. Yes. I have to jump in and tell you that that I have done even something more stupid. Uh Oh. Is that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I got up to make some coffee. Uh Uh-huh. I tore the kitchen cabinets apart. There were no coffee filters. Uh Uh-oh. Nor was there any coffee. So what'd you do? I got in the car uh-huh. and I went to the store oh. and I pulled into the Kroger parking lot. Mm-hmm. I drove around for about five minutes trying to look for a place to put my car. I said, I am out of my freaking mind. Right. Go to Starbucks and go home. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got to tell you, though, it, to and, and my wife says before I leave on that Wednesday, hey, there's a couple of things on the list. 
if you have any questions, just text me or call me. And I left the house and I thought, oh my God, if she's put something on there that requires a question, I really don't want to be looking for that in the first place. Because that means I don't know where it is. And do you think there are going to be people around to answer my stupid questions? (laughs) So all of this leads me back to why I love and you love Hello Fresh. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> and and trust me, this was not intended to be a lead up to a commercial. This is like real, my real life. <laughs> You've been talking about Hello Fresh. Why didn't you just do it? We don't need Frank's giving. We got Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh giving. Hello Fresh giving. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hello. We just created a thing that occurred to me as I was dry, as I was parking my car in the Vaughn's parking lot. And I thought, why didn't we just order HelloFresh and use that? That's like the whole big deal with them is not running to the grocery store. It comes to your house. Everything is there to begin with. It's delicious. It saves you the trouble. And the cost is less than the traditional grocery store anyway. And it's even less than what we did, which is we just got frustrated. There's family drama going on that I don't deal with. So I just said, the hell with it, kids. You're on your own. My wife, my grandson who lives with us, and myself went out to dinner Thanksgiving Day. Smart man. You know, we could have done it cheaper had we thought in advance this was what was going to happen and got in touch and got HelloFresh to deliver the food we needed. See, that's the thing is if if you had this situation, and I don't mean you, John, I mean people who are, are right. listening you please the crowd without the hassle. They have things from like a charcuterie board, which I've already told you I didn't know they had, uh-huh. to these incredible mouthwatering desserts. What was the one you had mentioned you got? Like mini cheesecakes? The pumpkin cheesecake. Oh my gosh. I know. That's I craziness. Know. Yeah. I, I I seriously think we might be one of the dumbest people on the planet because we talk about HelloFresh. I've used HelloFresh, but in a pinch... Like a moron, I ran to the grocery store. Right. And HelloFresh is, is not just, it's not just for dinner anymore. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it never has been just for dinner because like, like Neil said, you can get, you can get the hassle out of every mealtime with easy breakfasts, quick lunches, snacks, all delivered with your weekly box. It's fresh. It goes from the farm to your door and it's all delicious. It's all quick. It's all cheaper than eating out or even buying the groceries because there's no waste, no must, no fuss, and a deal. And we love a deal. We love a deal. Go to HelloFresh.com slash approach free. Okay, that's approach free, all one word. And use the code approach free, all one word, for, you're not going to believe this, free breakfast for life. Wait. What? <laughs> yeah, there's one <laughs> breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash approach free with code approach free. One word, approach free. I feel like that could be our, our new theme song. Okay. A- approach free. La, la, la. Mm. Approach <laughs> free. On second thought. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes, we have a great guest from the world of baseball. A baseball. Baseball been very, very good to us and to him. Jeff Cirillo is our guest, and he's coming up next right here on The Approach Show. Baseball. 
Don't miss this year's hottest tour. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert. The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. Coming to a city near you. Go to TSOtickets.com for info. A heartwarming tale of redemption, accompanied by TSO's electrifying music and visual effects. The ultimate rock holiday phenomenon. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert. The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. A legendary blend of rock, classical, and holiday music for the entire family. Coming to a city near you. Go to TSOtickets.com for info. Don't miss Trans-Siberian Orchestras, the Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. And thanks for hanging and coming back. We are the Approach Shot. I am John Ashton. I am Neil Michaels, and with us today, another luminary guest. Gentleman had uh, played in Major League Baseball for 14 years, a two-time All-Star. Played with the Brewers, the Rockies, the Mariners, the Padres, the Twins, the Diamondbacks, but best known as a Brewer and a member of the Brewers Wall of Honor, Jeff Cirillo. Thanks Yay! for joining us in the clubhouse. Hey, what's up, guys? Good to see you. Good. Are we applauding now, John? Is <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't. I see when I, know, come, I know. when I don't come to rehearsal. I know. I know. Pause thing. I'm sorry. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Not a problem. <laughs> Jeff, how how are how's the golf game? How's the family? How's everybody these days? Everyone's great. You know, my golf game seems to be better when I leave the state of Washington. So, yeah, we, uh, we're we living in Indian Wells in the wintertime. So kind of what baseball players do. We, uh, we're sun seekers. And the golf game seems to get better when I hit the when I when I get in the California area coach. It does seem to happen. And my golf game gets better when I go to Arizona in the winter because I never take out a driver. I never take out a three wood. Everything's either an iron or a fairway wood because it just bounces forever. You, you hit a ball 180 and you drive the green for at 300. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's definitely. And I think that a lot of the courses, at least in Palm Springs, it's, um, well, it's a Nicholas course. There's two Nicholas courses where I live and, uh, you know, very forgiving off of the, off the box. So you don't feel squeezed off the box and then kind of squeezes you on the green to where it's like, look, I'm going to make you feel good off the tee, but if you don't hit the green, I'm trying to force it. The, the course is made to make you get a bogey on it. Isn't it nice that it's in your hometown so that you can go back and have that happen to you over and over and over and over again? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, trust me, I know where my 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 deficiency are is in my golf game, for sure. <laughs> and Nick, Nicholas, is, Nicholas is like that, though. He he loves making a course that that looks easy but plays hard. Right, right, yes. So yeah. it's so a good course, a place called Toscana, Toscana down in Indian Wells, California. Yeah. Very nice courses, two of them. But my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law have a place not far from there in, in uh, Palm Desert. So uh, at some point, yep. maybe we'll come say hi. Love Listen, it. let's talk a little bit about, about your playing time. You know, I mentioned all those teams that, that you played with, but people pretty much know you as a brewer or as a Rocky, and you went to college at USC, you started out as a pitcher. And I guess that's how you get that third baseman's arm, huh? Uh, well, as luck would have it, my fastball was very straight, and I didn't get, couldn't really put much sink on it, So, which maybe didn't benefit me too much uh, as a pro pitcher, but for third base, 
I had a very true, accurate, strong arm. Yeah, I bet you they like that better than having a better. The first baseman probably likes you having a straight fastball rather than having a curveball. <laughs> yeah, or a fastball that moving everywhere. So yeah. that's, that's right. doesn't really have, you don't have a good shelf life if your fastball moves all over the place. And, and John, just to just to warn you ahead of time, Jeff graduated magna cum laude. So we're going to have to like take it up a notch. What you mean, yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you had a couple of really interesting distinctions in your career. You played 1,617 games without going to the postseason until 2007 with the Diamondbacks. So we're glad for you that that happened because we talked to guys who never got there. The thing that I think as a purist that I love about your career is that you hit 300 six times, 300 or better, six times during your career, but more importantly, over 320, four times. So you didn't like hit 300 or 301. You were just killing it. You were an artist with the bat. That's funny that you say that because uh, most people would never bring that up. Be like, wow, you know, guy hit over 300 six times in his career. I'm like, no, I'm like 300 was like the benchmark, right? I'm like right. 320, yeah. for, 320 for a right-hand hitter that, that didn't have blazing speeds and super power. So yeah, I definitely had to manage my at-bats and manage the move the bat around and manipulate the barrel for sure. And I think that that these days, and I hate to sound like one of the older guys, but these days it seems to me that that art has gone. You know, this is the era of the long ball. And it's incredible that you look at the stats of some of these guys today, you'll see 25 homers, 80 RBIs, but a 210 batting average. And somebody will talk about the war is great and the this is great. And it's like, wait a minute, if in your day and age, somebody hit 210, if it wasn't Dave Kingman, nobody cared. It would be like, hey, dude, you got to at least hit 250 for anybody to give you any kind of respect. That's exactly right. Well, there's a few there's a few more nuances in the game. Obviously, there's more velocity on average. Right. And when I left baseball, I think the average fastball in the major leagues was 90-91. And now I think right-handers are average is like 93.5. And that number is only going up. But for your listeners and for people that might not have played baseball, and like, well, what's the difference? You know, two miles an hour, it's big, right? I mean, you had two to five miles an hour on your swing speed. It's a difference in in a lot of distance off the off the tee. There's that one. And then um, analytics, you know, there's a computer and there's this thing called Rubzato or, or Hit Tracks or TrackMan that can basically, and, and you give someone like me who, what, had 6,000 at-bats in the major leagues. And if I had 4,000 of those at-bats off right-handed pitchers, uh, they'd have a pretty good idea of where I hit the ball and they could laser it down there. Okay. When he hits the ball on the ground, this is where he hits it. When he hits the ball in the outfield, this is where he hits it. So they can pinpoint that. So I, I'm glad that they did away with the shifting a little bit, but yeah. velocity and analytics, as far as, you know, where this guy actually hits the ball uh, is definitely played a factor in, in that, um, in the averages being lower. The, the smash factor in golf is, is a maximum of 1.5. Is it the same? In I mean that what physics says it, it you can't the ball speed cannot be any faster than one and a half times the club speed. Is it the same ratio in 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 baseball? Even though the bat's made out of wood, I don't know if they've come up with an idea where where they can measure hand speed yet, which is kind of strange to say. You think you should be able to measure hand speed of yeah. of fast a guy can accelerate the barrel through the zone, um, but more it's more on 
the launch angle, what the perfect launch angle is based on X speed. And those are called barrels. And there's actually a stat today where, you know, it's like everything today in baseball and everything is a stat like golf. Instead of X factor, it'd be like barrel factor or, or smash. Your smash factor would be barrel percentage. Gotcha. And okay. So that's what guys are looking for. Like over 90 degree, over 90 miles an hour off the barrel with, you know, reaching the 18 to 22 launch angle. That would be considered a barrel in today's right. game. One of the things that I am completely blown away by, you never struck out a hundred times in a season. Never. And in multiple seasons, you walked more than you struck out. That talks more about your eye than it does your ability to hit, but I, they're obviously tied together. You know, the plate doesn't change, right? The pitches might be a little faster. They might be a little sharper when it comes from major leaguers. But if you can control that zone, uh, that's half the battle. And today, there's that's a big thing. It's like, you know, what's his chase rate? They didn't obviously have that chase rate when I was playing to measure. But I was always one of those guys that I wanted to walk. I wanted to get one walk for every 10 at-bats I had. You know, I thought that was a really good rate. You know, if I had 700 at-bats, you know, I'd try and get 70 walks. And usually it would be like a 1.5 to 1 walk ratio. You know, so if I walk 70 times, well, maybe that's probably even a little high. But, you know, if I was going to walk so many times, I'd want to be in the strikeouts. I always try to be one for one. It's really hard to do, obviously, because, you know, it's hard to draw three walks in one game. but if you face Randy Johnson a lot, there might be. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden, you know, now you got to go the next 27 at bats without a strikeout to make that measure uh, of, of one to one. But I was always staunch on trying to draw one walk for 10 at bats and keep my uh, walks and strikeouts level. I heard Wade Boggs describe one time why he was such a good hitter. And, and he said that most people, their dominant eye is the same side as they would bat. So if you're a right-handed batter, your right eye is more dominant. He said his one of his pluses at the plate was that was the eye closer to the ball that was the dominant eye. That's why he could see it better. Phil Mickelson, I guess, when he played baseball, was a right-hand hitter. Yeah. And he was he's, right dominant. He's, he's naturally right-handed. He played because he learned to play golf by m- mirroring his dad. Right. But I, I always heard the, the story that, his, that he made him hit golf left-handed because he was that right eye dominant leading forward so oh, i don't okay. know do the studies when we were and we were tested for everything in spring training the one thing you got to have in baseball is you got to have great vision and i think that mine was like 2015 2020 mm-hmm. 2015 probably being my, in my right eye and 2020 in my left so yeah when you found out that you became an all-star first with the brewers and then with the rockies do you remember how you found out when you found out and how you felt Oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was one of those ones in 97 uh, when I made the team. And quite frankly, I always thought that 300 was like the bare minimum, right? And I know that that's crazy <laughs> to think that I think I went into that all-star game in 97. And, and to, to be honest, you know, I hit 288 that year and had a good year, like as far as in relative terms of Major League Baseball. I remember getting home at the end of the season. I was thinking, man, I'm the worst player in the league. And I hit <laughs> Because I felt like it was 300 or bust, you know, and it was a different sleep. You know, it's a different sleep when you're hitting 300 and 300 plus than it is when you dip below that 300. Um, So I don't know where I went with that question, but um, 
I don't know if that answered the question at all. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, in Colorado, interestingly enough, everybody talked about what a hitter's ballpark it was. And, you know, the balls were flying out, especially, you know, as people were getting to know Coors Field. And your first year there, you hit 11 home runs, you hit 326, but you knocked in 115 runs, which is, that's a power hitter number. So if you only hit 11 home runs, 115 RBIs means you got a lot of hits that year. I did. Uh, it was just one of those ones uh, with runners in scrum position. And I just knew from a pitching standpoint, you know, their stuff always gets a little better when there's paint, right? And when we call it paint in the industry, uh, you know, that that number at the end, the hit, you know, the hit is a hit in the major leagues, but they know that they were being paid on that earned run average and winning baseball games back then. And their stuff used to get better. So I always knew that that guy doesn't want that run to score. I don't care if the score is 20 to zero or zero to zero. I know at the end of the day that that guy is paid for his earned run average at the end of the season. And so I knew that either he was going to try and throw first pitch slow breaking ball or a breaking ball because he wanted to get me to roll it over to the third baseman. Or he was going to try and really jam me because he wants me to hit the ball to the third baseman or jam me to keep the ball in the infield. So I just looked breaking ball and I looked out over the field and literally was my, my mentality was to get jammed with the fastball and to use the middle of the field. And so, and like you said, playing in Colorado, there was so much space because the outfielders had to play deep. So there was, when you looked out at the field, you know, you just saw a huge fairway to hit to, right? <laughs> and obviously in contrast to that, you know, uh, uh, when you went on the road, it felt like you were playing at Sahali. <laughs> all right i have one thing that i've been dying to ask you especially considering what has just happened recently you pitched one inning in major league baseball you walked two but you struck out one batter do you remember who that batter was yeah craig council yeah <laughs> he's sniffed by that too i swear. <laughs> imagine <laughs> it was fortunate and unfortunate for him like he was he was admired in like a three for 30 slump. Right. And you know, at that time of his career, he was a bench player, right. He was a utility shortstop for the Brewers. And he was like mired in a three for 30 slump. And so the diamondbacks, the Brewers are beating us by a lot. And so Bob Melvin asked me, which is kind of funny in itself because Bob Melvin and I had literally been with the diamondbacks for maybe 10 days. Right. <laughs> Brewers where I played the last two years and I knew everybody. And I, so I couldn't really ham it up. Like I wanted to, because I was with a new team, right. right? And we're getting beat. But Bob Melvin, who was uh, the bench coach in Milwaukee when I was there, and he was my manager with the Mariners, and he grabbed me down the stretch for the Diamondbacks. And he said, hey, Real, uh, if we don't come back in this next inning, uh, and I was now in the game being a utility infielder because I was old, 37. And um, and so now I'm hitting in the in the bottom of the eighth inning. He's like, hey, real, if we don't make a comeback here, do you uh do you want to pitch the ninth inning? And I told him, I looked at him, I got, I'm like, I've been waiting 14 years to pitch the ninth inning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a pitcher, right, in college. And so now I'm thinking, gosh, do I really want to get on base to start a rally or do I want to make it out because I really want to pitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. The interesting thing about that is if, if people are thinking, wait, Craig Council, Craig, he just was named the manager of the Cubs. So he's had even more success as a manager than he did maybe as a player. So I'm sure the more, the higher he gets up the food chain, the more he's going to remember that day 
And he's going to do that to somebody. He's going to bring in somebody. He's going to be like, yeah, you're my Jeff Cirillo. Come on in. <laughs> oh, I don't think so anymore because these guys, when they come in to the pitch the ninth inning, you see them, they just lob it in there, right? Yeah. You know, when a pitch, when a position player pitched the ninth inning back in my day, you know, first of all, it was a rarity, right? A lot of managers, you know, they would never put up that white flag, right? They'd be like, we'll just pit, we're going to pitch the pitchers. You know, I'm not pitching a position player that shows like a, a white flag mentality. Like Ned Yost would never let me pitch the ninth inning. And I'm like, come on, Ned Lee, let me do it. Uh, today, the, you know, these guys, when they throw, they just lob it in there. They don't even look back at the gun because they're throwing like 61 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely had that advantage pitching in, in college. We got more stories. We got some golf stuff we're going to talk about. You come back. We'll come back. And Jeff Cirillo will come back to the approach shop. Hang on. Have you ever tried to buy gold and silver and felt like you were talking to a used car salesman? That's because the precious metals industry is like the Wild West. Salesmen can say pretty much anything or make any promise they want without repercussion. But Genesis Gold Group is different. They're a faith-driven Christian precious metals company and believe in educating their customers, not pressuring them for a quick sale. Genesis Gold Group focuses on customer service, not sleazy marketing. Genesis Gold Group is named after the first book of the Bible for a reason. Proper stewardship of wealth is their specialty. Find out why they've earned a 5 out of 5 rating through the Better Business Bureau and how they can help you secure your wealth or retirement through physical precious metals. Call right now to learn more. 800-239-6987. 800-239-6987. That's 800-239-6987. Okay, like we've promised, or some may think threatened to come back, and we are here. I'm John Ashton. We are The Approach Show. And we're with Jeff Cirillo, Major League Baseball player, 14-year career. And before we get into golf, Jeff, I heard this great story that you are this hopeless romantic. Tell us how you uh, proposed to May. Uh, I don't think I'm a hopeless romantic. No, that's the wrong way. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) No, I am not. I'm not. You got the wrong Jeff Cirillo, man. That's wrong. Nope, nope, nope. We're not going I, there. Come I think the way the story goes is at some point she said, I don't know. I think we should get married. And you were like, do you? And she said, yeah. And you said, okay. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. It. <laughs> that's that's what I meant. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I didn't know where you were going with that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of planning. You got down on one knee. You went up in a hot air balloon. No, you sat around the kitchen table and said, what do you think? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. There you go. How much time you get on the course, Jeff? Palm Springs lifestyle. Let me give it to you. Everything starts, okay. stops around 8, 8 a.m. It starts, right? Okay. So, and I and I love pickleball, and pickleball is the one thing that I do for my exercise, right? I'm not going to the gym. I'm not riding right. a bike. I don't like to hike. And I know that, that the pickleball will make me sweat, and I'll lose weight. And even if I'm not playing great at pickleball, I know that at least I'm getting something out of it, right? But there's also golf, and every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's a group of things, and we play the, the they call it Peppers down here, and it's kind of like a Vegas game, okay. you know? Like uh, Anyway, so we do matches of six and play 18 holes, and they have an internal handicap just for this one game. You don't have to email anyone. Balls in the air at 8 a.m. Love it. Yeah. So I 
measure whether I'm going to go play pickleball or I'm going to go play peppers. And uh, you can only choose one because, like I said, everything, the clock starts at 8 a.m. around, <laughs> whether pickleball or golf. Yeah. So I would be play in the summertime. I don't play as much as you would think. But down here, I probably play four times a week. Okay. Wow. That's, so that's a way to get the game going on all cylinders, man. Mm-hmm. I love the internal handicap for that one game, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we play inside the leather for putting. Okay. No scraping putts. And you play the ball down. Like if so, if you get a nine on a hole... You get a nine on a hole, and then, of course, then they'll readjust it later for you. So for the sure. next time. Right. Right? But you're yeah. still going to play on the nine. Yeah. But we'll adjust you later. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> so that way there's no, you know, Chardonnay, fluff your handicap on the weekend and then come back. And, you know, so there's really very little sandbagging going on there, which is great. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoy that a lot. Very cool. Jeff. I, I live in San Diego, and and like I said, we have relatives in Palm Desert, so we go to visit their place a lot. In the summer, for those who don't know, in Palm Springs, it's 105. So are you telling me you play golf four, or pickleball four times a week in 105 degrees? Well, you, you, you did your homework, and you nailed it earlier. We live in Washington for six months, and then we live in Indian Wells for six uh, months. There you go. Sun seeker, but not too much sun. Not yeah. too much, son. When it, when it gets into the mid-90s, you guys are on a plane. <laughs> 90s is still doable. That's fine. You know, yeah. I mean, that early, you know how that works in the desert. It's still not, if it's in the mid-90s during the day, it's still got that desert in the morning. So you can still get out there and play. But, you know, once it gets to be 100, you know, it's time to, you know, leave. And it, well, mid-90s, it's time to leave town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you spent some time um, on FSN, Wisconsin. As a broadcaster, are you still doing that? No, I, I've i done, I've always sampled with it, but they always wanted me to kind of move back to Milwaukee and kind of be in the rotation. I'm like, that's hard to leave because Washington is, I don't know if you guys have been there. Washington is, is unreal in the summertime, especially, you know, mid-June through September, basically. It's it's one of the best places. You know, San Diego's nice, but I'd have to argue with it that Washington might even be better than San Diego in the summer. Yeah, it, especially having to go back to Milwaukee no offense to Milwaukee, but you know, if, if you're living in a place that's that gorgeous, it's a little tough. Yeah. <laughs> and and John and I were having fun with the fact that you are a partner in Pacific Baseball Ventures, which owns the everybody say it together, Walla Walla Sweets <laughs> and the Yakima Valley Pippins, both of which are collegiate wood bat leagues. I have no idea what that means. Well, Walla Walla, the city's so nice, they named it twice. <laughs> uh, the name comes from the Walla Walla Sweet Onion. Take it, take it from like a little city, a little branding there. Uh, the Pippins is a type of apple that is grown in Yakima. We actually wanted to be the Yakima uh, Hops. So there used to be a minor league team in Yakima called the Yakima Bears. And then they moved to Hillsboro and they called themselves Hillsboro Hops, even though there's no hops in Hillsboro. But Yakima has tons of hops. So we had to go with the second best choice, which is like a, a bitter tart, like baking apple, the Pippin. And and they're collegiate so, leagues, meaning they're, they're college age? Yes. So it's college. They all have amateur status. Um, and we tend to just gravitate towards maybe like the, the really, really high achieving senior 
that's okay. um, committed to like a really good D1 school at UCLA or just guys that have played well and excelled already at the college level. And they run a 60 or 57 game schedule for about a two and a half mm-hmm. month. Run. And all the teams are kind of in the Northwest. And, you know, the majority partner of my team is, is crazy. You say this because when I first retired from baseball, I'm like, and they always say like an athlete dies twice, right? Because, you know, now what, right? You know, right. Career, whether it be at 23 or 38, you know, there's still that, that bridge to gap, mm-hmm. you know, actually are done. And, and someone was asked, well, what are you going to do now? I was like, well, I really had a great experience in Alaska when I went away from USC in the summertime. And I'd really like to be involved in this little West Coast League, you know, but I've been having trouble getting, getting together with this one guy who's, I don't know, and he's a big tech guy, loves baseball. But it's been hard. You know, we, we had some steam, then we lost it. And I had a batting cage in my house, in my garage. And I was giving a lesson to my neighbor, his kid. And he's like, well, who is it? I'm like, well, it's a guy named, his name's John Stanton. Lo and behold, John Stanton, he's now the chairman of the board of the Seattle Mariners. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can say that I'm in business with the, the Seattle Mariners. Well, as a guy who lives about 12 miles from the Louisville Slugger factory, thanks for using wood bats. So, so is your your position basically just going watch, or you actually actively participate in teaching? When we first got started, I still was working and and with the Angels because um, because you know I was still involved. And but to get it off the ground, the first, I think we're I think we've played fifteen or sixteen years now. It's crazy. Oh wow! You know, yeah. right along. And uh, but when we first started, I was kind of the baseball ops guy to, to kind of um, open the doors and meet with the college coaches, just saying who we are and what we are all about. And hopefully we're able to procure, you know, three of your players per season, which helps, you know, fill that roster. Yeah. Do the college coaches accept it? Well, do they look at it as a way for their guys to excel even further? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's funny though, when, when, when you're not over there, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And so we grabbed a GM and our GM to begin with was great at marketing, especially came up with the name and the brand. And, and it was a great name. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I was a little reluctant, I'm like, baseball players be in the suites. I'm like, it's a little weird, but, but it's great. <laughs> it a great name. And uh, after about year two, he's like, okay, I got it. And I'm like, okay, you got it. Right. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. thinking that we'd be a GM one day and he was trying to impress Stanton. Who's now owner of the Mariners. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to be the, I'm going to wear every single hat and do everything well. And so there was a time when I was doing, and then I was going to go coach it. Because my kids, my youngest son was playing baseball at USC, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go coach him over there in Walla Walla, and then COVID hit, so yeah. I was go manage it that one year, and so I've never really gotten to check that box. I've always wanted to do it, but now we have another new GM over there, and and even this this past like probably six seven weeks ago, I was like, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to check in on the suites and be the manager of that team, and then that GM's like, well, I got a manager, and I'm like, God, I was like, God. Baseball doesn't want me anymore. <laughs> I make myself manager of a team that I own. <laughs> I'm like, God, how far is this far? This, I've got to go back and read my own Wikipedia page just to say that I feel good about myself knowing that I play. <laughs> but could you imagine, oh man, and and give us give us a little time here, Jeff. We, we got to make a buck or two. But could you imagine being able to? You're you're a baseball player. You have aspirations of of playing professionally. You play for a team, and you've got a question, and you say, "I'm going to go ask a man who hit over 320 successive years consecutively how to do this." I mean, 
how wonderful would that be to have, have a master at the craft be able to teach you what you're doing? Problem is, though, for the most part, those kids don't ask that question. And, and even a ton of uh, friends that are still in baseball and, and in like inspectory roles or whatever, and they'll come in and like Mike Cameron or someone of that note. And, and those guys won't say like, man, how did you do that? How did you hit 300 in the major leagues? And it'd be a perfect, I'm not going to go to them, but like, hey, look, this is how you hit 300. Because, you know, unsolicited advice is never well received, in my opinion. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they don't want to know. Yeah. So, you know, it's the rare kid that'll come up to you and be like, Hey, you did this. How did you do that? Yeah. And, and then I would, and then I would open up and tell them, you know, my testimony and how I did it. You know, it's not, it wasn't like anything that's eye opening or earth shattering. There's not like, it's just going to be an aha moment. It's just, you know, being your game's got to be airtight. Just got to be super consistent. Own the strikes, yeah. up, own it. You know, own yeah. ball strike, you know, and, and just fight. Every pitch is a fight. I guess that's a problem with the generation, man. Jeff could teach a master class, couldn't he? he master could, class in hitting. He could. Yeah. He could. I mean, that's that's what I was trying to say. You know, you've got a master at the craft. Right. You isn't know, that, who's there. That the and that's point? the whole idea, you know? Right. I don't and this is, this is us segueing into a master class commercial, which <laughs> okay. you feel free to jump into. Because yeah. John, John and I started, we were talking about masterclass. You should teach a masterclass in hitting. That's what they're looking for. But John and I both jumped into masterclass and John did a soliloquy on the show last week or the week before, because he's taking an acting class from Helen Mirren, whereas I am taking a wine appreciation class. And John, I want to give you an update. Uh Uh-huh. I learned on my first and second master class because I don't know if people get that master class is not you have to like get on at a certain time and listen at a certain time and there's this whole group of people around and it's like yeah. no it's it's a it's a pre-recorded video a series of pre-recorded videos that's the class that you're taking so it's the easiest thing in the world you get an area of expertise that you're interested in and you then log on when you want, at the time you want, in the area you want, and you get some of the world's great experts, like Jeff is with hitting, on an area of, of that you're most interested in. So for me, the thing that's interesting being in Southern California is there are so many wineries here, and I just wanted to take a wine appreciation class. I know nothing. I walk into Trader Joe's, and if there's a $6.99 bottle with my name on it, I'm bringing that home, and I hope it's good, but I would have no idea if it was or not. Well, here's some of the stuff that I learned. First of all, you know that swirl that people do? Yeah. And you kind of go, wow, are you a snob for doing that? No, if you don't do that, you're a moron, because the swirl is to aerate. And here's the thing I learned. You pour about this much into the glass and swirl it a bunch so that you can get a lot of air into it. And then you pour a little more and swirl more. So you don't pour a large glass because if you swirl, it ends up all over your table. You put a little <laughs> bit in and that gets that gets some of that air in there, which brings out. And the reason you want the air in it, it brings out the aroma. It yep. brings out the flavor. Yep. The other thing that I was learning as I'm doing this is. I thought, wow, the guy who's teaching this has got to be a snob because he's teaching a wine appreciation class. And I think the funniest thing that I heard during my first class was him describe one bottle that he didn't care for as 
tasting like day old gravy or tires. <laughs> now you're not going to be a snob if that's the way you talk about it. I got to tell you, if you haven't already thought about giving masterclass for a Christmas gift this year to somebody who has everything, you really ought to. Indeed you should, because, you know, like, like uh, Neil is explaining these, these mass masterclass guys become like a, a personal mentor. I mean, you can, you, you learn wine from an expert, you learn acting from an expert, you can learn uh, how to find a new job from, from Chris Voss and maybe how to hit from Jeff Cirillo, if we can convince him to get into it, you know, should be yeah. Uh, membership starts at 10 bucks a month. That's it. 10 bucks a month, 120 bucks a year, unlimited access to one-on-one -on -one classes with all 180 plus masterclass instructors. Do we have a deal? Do we have a deal? Do we have a deal? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Christmas is almost here. Yeah. Uh, you're looking for, as, as Neil said, something for the person who has everything. How about a masterclass? Because if you buy one annual membership, you huh. will get one free at masterclass.com slash approach. What? Right now, you get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash approach. Crazy. Offer terms apply, but check it out now. Masterclass.com slash approach. And hey, Mr. Cirillo, not only are you going to be schooling, but you're going to be taken to class because we got a six pack for you coming up next. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-441-9109. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-441-9109. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-441-9109 to donate your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts. And we are back to the Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and it is time for the dreaded six-pack for Jeff Cirillo. Jeff, he doesn't look you, like he's dreading it all that he much. He doesn't look right? dreaded at all. He, no. he looks like he's taken him, he's given <laughs> a couple of classes like this himself. The six, six pack. Here, what we do is we give you six questions. We fire them off at you. We want you to give us the very first answer that comes to mind. No thinking, no hemming, no hawing, no hawing or hemming, either one of those things. And if we get that you're thinking about it, we're going to give you a ah. so first thought that comes to mind. All right. Yes. You ready for this? Sure. <laughs> he doesn't seem the least bit concerned about this, does he? The, the guys right. face some of the, the best pitchers in the world. You think you're yeah. scaring them? I don't think so, man. This is nothing. He did, he did. You're right. He did talk about facing Randy Johnson. Okay. Question one. Jeff, who is the worst golfer that you play with, but you enjoy because they are so much fun? Damon Buford. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Does he know he's that bad? 
No, he's not that bad, but he's okay. He's, okay. And what makes playing with him so much fun? We grew up together. We were roommates in college and we can just give each other, rib each other back and forth. It's very fun. Love it. So, Does he live in the area? Uh, he lives in, yeah, he lives in San Fernando Valley. Gotcha. All right. Question two. You get to play catch and chew the fat with anyone in history, and it doesn't have to be somebody that you know. Who are you having a catch with? Uh, uh, Babe Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that's now Babe 70%, everybody else less. (laughs) Just because he's the Babe? I think that just the question just, you're just trying to, because I don't want the buzzer to go off. So it's the first thing you just. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. See, a little fear. A little fear uh, of the bubble. Okay. All, All right. right. All right. I've been waiting to do this. Oh, that I would say, if I was to think about it, I'd be like, Charlie Huff. Yeah. Okay. You could do that. Put his knuckleball if I could catch his knuckleball. There you go. Okay. All right. Question three. And I have been dying to ask you this ever since we first started talking. In 1998, you led the league in grounding into double plays with 26. In fact, in your career, it's the only stat where you led the league in any category. (laughs) So we at the Approach Shot have made a trophy for you and are going to send it to you. Please give us a couple of lines of your acceptance speech. Well, when you're (laughs) young, dumb, and you can't run, you're hitting the (laughs) button. That's perfect. (laughs) Wow. We're going to have to make that trophy a little bit bigger. That's too fine. Senses. I love it. Question four. You've spent a lot of your off seasons living in Washington state, but a lot of your playing career in Milwaukee. So which is a must have for Jeff Cirillo, a Seattle dog or a Milwaukee brat? Milwaukee brat all day long. Wow. Can you tell people what a Seattle dog is? Because Seattle kind of is known for its seafood and stuff. And when I learned about a Seattle dog, I was like, hmm. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what you're talking about when you're talking about a Seattle dog. Is there salmon in it? Um, apparently, it's a hot dog that's got some non-traditional hot dog things. Yes. And they serve it <laughs> a lot at um, in in uh, what's what's the, the Seattle market, the seafood Pike market, Pike fish market. market area. Pike Place Market? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, that must have been an easier question, not knowing about what the other choice was. <laughs> right. Well, I figured when you dog, it would be like a salmon hot dog. That's what it sounds like to me, too. Which, <laughs> no, thanks. No, good. No. All right. Question five. It's the holiday season, and a lot of people are going to be making New Year's resolutions. What's one New Year's resolution you would make for your golf game? That I could hit, that I either buy a hybrid seven iron or learn how to hit a seven six seven or eight iron that's the one thing holding me back mm, wow. <laughs> and so what do we do about that are you buying something or are you going to spend an inordinate amount of time on the driving range with three clubs well um you know in my industry there's a lot of five o'clock hitters which means that they're really good at five o'clock and not so good at 705 <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good and then some days it feels good out there. And then some days I'm like, oh, I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. That does seem to be a thing. So we'll, along with the trophy, we'll get you a compass. Well, <laughs> something. Yeah, or a hybrid seven iron. There you go. Yeah. All right. And question six, we ask this of everybody who comes on the show. 
Since we are the approach shot, Jeff Cirillo, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? Uh, being impeccable with my word and treat treat others how you'd want to be treated. No matter, like I was always big on, no matter how big or small the person, treat them equally and fair. Boom. Well, you're right, John. He didn't look uh, worried at all. And no, he was not faced in the either. least. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. You are off the hot seat, Jeff Cirillo. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. For six, seven, and eight iron, just about an inch forward of the middle of your stance, man. God, but I already hit a, I already hit a really high ball. Okay. So I've actually kind of played with hitting, putting the ball more in the back. back. A little. Yeah. Cause I hit, I, I just hit the ball. I, like I can, my drive is probably about 260 still. So I can still get it out there oh, pretty damn. good. Okay. Nice. Yeah. But my iron, like my, my height, my eight iron goes like 140. And my seven iron goes like 153. And I just hit it so high in the air. Okay. No. I mean those those aren't bad numbers for seven and eight irons, but but I know yeah. Mr. Mr. 320 probably wants to go further. No, no, I would rather <laughs> I would rather just go straighter. Ah, okay. You gotcha. know what it is? I play with uh I play with a little bit of a, a draw, but my natural swing is a little bit more of a fade. Okay. I should just lose the distance and play the but when I play a fade with my eight iron, it probably goes about 130. Yeah. Like right. So I'm just, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't pinch the ball. I tend to like hit it like a baseball bat. So like my hybrids and woods are good. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I'm, I I just get super steep with the irons and I don't pinch the ball. I scoop it. Gotcha. It's all that pickle balling. See, now you've got a different (laughs) swing you're dealing with. It is. Yeah. Right. I'm always used to hitting in back of a ball. Yeah. And now on top of the ball, I'm like, that just sounds so foreign to me, but like, Never don't really have to ever replace divots with my irons ever. Yeah. Really? I was going to ask that too. Yeah. I, I, I scrape yep. rather than, than yeah. hit. Yeah. So there you well, go. Well, I had, I had one question on the six pack that I didn't ask because there were only six questions. So that's why um, you have three boys, Cole, Carson, and Connor. The question I was going to add, the six pack question I was going to ask, which more of a smart aleck question, which is, which of the boys would you want in the cart with you and which of them would insist on being in the cart with you? Let's start there. I think that uh, my middle son, Carson, he was a golfer in college at Puget Sound University. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the person I'd want in the cart would probably be him. And the person I wouldn't want in my cart is my oldest son, Cole, because when when he's playing bad, then everyone's going to play bad because he'll just make around. It'll just make the round miserable for everybody. <laughs> wow. I've okay. played with guys like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does. It does. It changes. It's like this black cloud over you the whole time. Jeff, you know, I get that all three of the boys' first names start with a C, and I'm guessing that you know there are other letters in the alphabet. Yes. Um, it, was this a, just so that you could get the towels embroidered and just give it to anybody? <laughs> good good call. <laughs> Actually, my first son, his name is Jeffrey Cole. Uh, okay. So, uh, and then the middle one, um, Carson, um, Carson Palmer, and I went to USC, and Carson Palmer was the USC quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Kind of cool. And then when you have the third one, you're always like, well, you're already you're already two down. You might as well go with a C. <laughs> <on the third." laughs> it would kind of be weird if you didn't. 
He stood no chance, did he? He was not going to be David no matter what. (laughs) And it's Connor with an O, not an E. Everyone always puts an E to Connor instead of the O. So so he always has to be like, Connor with an O, not E. Because everyone (laughs) assumes it's Connor, like E-R, but it's O-R. All right. If somebody said to me, it's Connor with an O, that would throw me because I would think, wait, no, it starts with a C. But it would never occur to me to put an E in there unless it was a last name. Wow. Okay. Well, good. I I love that. I love that you have that. And again, with the holidays coming, just get a bunch of embroidered towels and they'll just make their way around all all the CCs that there are. Everything for everybody. Why would they want to do that when they can just take mine? There you go, too. <laughs> just like a phone cord, you know. Yeah. I just get them embroidered uh, Apple phone cords that say CC on every one of them, and then you get from each other, and then I'll get one for myself that says JC on it, and like, <laughs> and this one's community. You guys steal from each other. <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole thought process behind that when these kids were being born. I love it. Jeff, Just, thanks for hanging out with us today. It's been a, a absolute blast, and I, I'm I'm still, you know, there are there are guys. We we had Dave Magadan on a couple of weeks ago, and and your career and his remind me of each other because it really was a lost art. And guys who hit three twenty, three fifteen, three twenty six, you know, in your day, that was awesome. And again, you held yourself to a higher standard. These days, you would win the batting title by twenty points. I know. Well, I would hope to think that I, I could. I'm not never going to be one of those old timers that said, like in my day, you know. <laughs> and get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm going to tell you today that that the the velocity that these guys are seeing, it would be much harder to. I mean, if you don't get a hit in that first three at bats, you know, and then they start bringing out the bullpen, you know, these guys are throwing a hundred, you know, ninety seven to a hundred. It's not the most comfortable comfortable feeling up there. Granted, maybe if you see more of it, you know, you get the timing of it, but you know. There's a reason why in softball they moved the mound back, you know, because mm-hmm. it was when with the more velocity you see, the the less time for error you have, right? I mean, you got to make a split. The decision goes up even faster, so tougher to hit today. Well, I I, I still think you would hit over 300, though you would only think that was mediocre. Right, right. Well, it'd be based, on, but 300 would, yeah. Th- I might not have have as many comfortable sleeps. How about that? There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Great to meet you, Jeff. Appreciate you spending time with us here, man. All right. Have a great day. Bye, boys. Thanks, you too. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.